Does anyone know what today is? Sunday, yes. We're awake. We're on the ball. It's also June 24th. Okay, so if any of you are thinking, okay, what does that mean? What's so special about June 24th? Well, it also means that six months from now is Christmas Eve. Okay, so don't stone me. Okay, but... I wanted to just make sure you were aware. I'm full of helpful hints. Okay, that's what I'm all about. And for those of you who need to plan ahead, you have your six-month warning. Okay? All right? Now, I also think that there could be the... I have the sneaky suspicion, and please don't raise your hand if this is you, but I have a feeling that there could be one or a couple people in here who are already done. They're ready. They're ready. They're like, yes, I'm done. You're like my mother-in-law. She was done like the day after Christmas last year. She's got it all done. So I don't want you to worry. I'm not starting our Christmas series yet. Okay? It's a little too early for that. We're enjoying the summer weather. Okay? So we're not going to worry about what happens around Christmas Eve. But I do want you to think about gifts for a moment. And some of the gifts that you have received over time, maybe you've even given some of these types of gifts, But I want you to take a moment to think of a gift that you received where you felt overwhelmed. Maybe you were in awe of it. Um, Maybe you were in shock or you were just overcome by emotions because it was given to you. Maybe you thought it was too expensive or just too much. Or it met a special need that you had. um, Or filled a certain sweet spot in your life. And you can think of sometimes when you give gifts to your children and they have that like ecstatic reaction if you've seen any YouTube videos, you, you can see like people just go, the little kids go crazy, and you never know what they're going to do, right? As kids will normally be, you know. Sometimes when we've given gifts like a bike to our kid and they weren't expecting it, they're like, oh. you know, you, that just face of just sheer joy and emotion. It's 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 priceless, and in most of those cases, it was probably given to you by someone who loved you. Right? Someone who cared about you, someone who was thinking of you when they give that gift. Maybe a parent or a spouse, a fiance or a close friend. They were just thinking of you and thought, hey, they could need this. And they knew that it would mean a lot to you. They gave it to you because they loved you and cared for you. Because most likely, it's not going to be something that you receive as part of that secret Santa gift exchange that sometimes happens. Uh, right? It's not like the coworker from three rows over says, yes, I got Barb's name. I'm going to get her this really nice extravagant gift. That's not usually how it happens. Usually it's Barb. Who in the world is Barb? You know, I don't even know this person and now I need to get her a gift? Looks like I'm going to go to Walmart and get a gift card or one of those sausage and cheese boxes, right? You know, we, we just kind of, we try to be thoughtful, but I have no idea what Barb likes. So you get it for her, and when she receives it, she tries to be really nice and smiles, right? We've all been there. Oh, this is exactly what I wanted. I've never had anything like this. But inside, they're thinking, really? I'm allergic to Walmart. Or I already have gotten five sausage and cheese boxes already. What am I going to do with this? Regift. Um, but that special gift, right, that special gift that you get, it... It comes from someone that loves you, someone who cares for you, someone who wants the best for you. And when we receive gifts like that, it a lot of times leaves us in awe or it leaves us in amazement. And we're just 
we're struck with emotion. We're compelled to react. We can't hold it in. We, it's like, wow, I can't believe that I received something like this. And it gets expressed with screams of joy, um, or maybe we well up with tears. Um, we often have an active, invisible response to the gift that we've just received. So it's with this idea of receiving a gift and responding to it that I want us to turn in our Bibles to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, verse 3. And in the church culture, we often speak of the gift of salvation. We often speak of that as a, a gift. It's a priceless gift. But it's one that sometimes after a while, the magnitude of that phrase, the gift of salvation, becomes faded. Sometimes we take it for granted and we just say, oh yeah, I'm saved. So in these verses starting at Titus 3, 3, Today I want us to see again this gift that we've been given. I want it to be a reminder to us personally what this means. And my hope is that somehow this gift should be affecting our lives each and every day. That it's not something that, yes, I have this gift, but now what do we do with it? So, starting at Titus 3, verse 3 through 8, here we go. It says, At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. And I love the truth and the power of these verses. They are things that if if I could read these Every day, I think it would propel me to be a better person each and every day as I just kind of let the weight of that sink and, 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 and just kind of hold me in that sense. And before we unpack these truths, I want to give you just a brief background on this letter of Paul to Titus, kind of the environment that he's writing to. And I think it's going to be helpful for us to understand the situation, to understand the culture that Paul is addressing so that maybe we can see some parallels between their culture and the ones that the culture that we live in today, how we see things today. So the Apostle Paul is writing to a young pastor named Titus, hence the name of the book. And Paul had left Titus on an, the island of Crete in the middle of the Mediterranean. It's just south of Greece, just southwest of Turkey. Uh, and in Titus 1.5, we learn that Paul left Titus on Crete in order to straighten out what was left unfinished and to appoint elders. So together, Paul and Titus had been able to preach the gospel. They had been able to minister to different communities on that island. And they were effective in that, and so there were new believers. But they didn't have a lot of time to organize churches for these new believers, to get them into kind of that community of believers, that community of faith, where they could help each other and grow and and do life together. And so Paul asked Titus to stay behind 
and take on that role for a while. Now, in addition to getting a new church organized and on a good, solid foundation, Titus also had to deal with some issues that were going on. He had to deal with the culture of Crete and its influences not only on this infant church, but on the people who had come out of that culture. So here's what was going on. The people of Crete, basically, they didn't have a good reputation at all. They were known as uh, people of low moral character. They were very uncivil. Like, they just kind of ran around and did whatever they wanted. Uh, they were dishonest. They were money-hungry people. And we learn earlier in the book, in, in uh, Titus 1.12, Paul quotes one of their own people, one of their own like leaders that is, was esteemed, and he describes Cretans as always liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. That sounds like a great postcard thing, right? Always evil, lazy gluttons, evil brutes. Come to Crete. It'll be great. And it's in this environment that the church is being established. Okay? Sounds maybe like some of the things that we encounter on our day-to-day basis. The things that we live in each and every day. And the gospel message was impacting the lives of men and women and affecting their families. But we also know that it can be a messy process sometimes. That it can be something where there's going to be good days and not so good days. And especially as these new believers are trying to figure out their new faith and how to live life as a believer. So Paul writes to Titus to give him some godly guidance on how to react, how to teach these new believers to live Christ-like lives that they need to live and become different than the way that they once were. So in our text today, we're picking up as Paul is beginning to end his letter. He's been writing, and, and it's a brief letter, but he's been writing some instructions just addressing some of the the main issues and how do we tackle these things. And he's driving home the message for this church. So in verse 3, he takes a moment to give us a reality check. He says that this is what we once were before receiving God's gift of salvation. He says, At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. In essence, we all were one sorry lot. And if you notice, Paul uses the word we. So he's including himself in this. So the Apostle Paul was one of these. Titus was one of these. You were one of these. I was one of these. This is who we were in our former lives. And think about these things for a second. Before the gift of God's saving grace, you and I, And everyone else were, and some may still be, foolish. We lacked understanding of God and his work. We didn't understand it. We're like, what is the big deal? Why are people like serving this God that they can't even see? We were spiritually blind. We were ignorant about Christ and the life that he offered us. Our hearts and our minds were hardened, and we were closed off to the things of God. And because of that, we're then also described as disobedient. We were foolish and ignorant and not trusting God. And because of this, we didn't follow his ways. We're like, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm not going to follow this. That makes no sense at all. We were stubborn and we rebelled against God's word and what he says because we thought we knew better. So I'm going to do it my own way, right? That's how we once lived. It also says that we were deceived. Think about it. We, we were blinded. We didn't know we were deceived by what the world around us tells us. 
We were led astray by our own way of thinking, and maybe even by the thinking of others. Specific people may have just kind of led us down a wrong path. Our enemy, Satan, has misled us away from God's truth and holiness. And our thinking was twisted. It was deceived. It was not right. And next, we were enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. I think this follows from being foolish and disobedient and deceived. We were enslaved to those things that we liked to do. You know, we followed our own way, which we thought was liberating and free. We thought that, hey, I can do what I want, only to discover that it enslaved us and held us down. We thought that we were enjoying our passions and pleasures, but we found that those passions and pleasures, whatever they might be, actually started to be our master, to be the things that we lived for, the things that we went after, the things that kind of held us. You know, a lot of times today we would call them addictions or things that, you know, maybe we call them hobbies. Um, But it's things that we are enslaved to, or we were enslaved to at one time. He goes on to say that we lived in malice and envy. Basically, we looked out for number one, and it didn't matter who was in our way. They were not going to stay in our way. We did what we wanted. We looked out for ourselves, meaning that we were jealous of others and what they could prevent us from doing. If hurt came to someone else and it helped us, we were glad at least on some level. Maybe we said, hey, I'm sorry that that happened to them, but at least I'm okay. I got what I wanted out of it. And that's a lot of times how we can act and and react in, in our former lives. And lastly, it says that we were hated and we were hating one another. We were, we just kind of became repulsive to each other. We were, and because of our sin, you know, God can't stand our sin either. So it's not that he hated us, but there was that separation between us as well. And that is what we were before the gift of God's salvation. But then the gift arrived. And I love these verses, how it just encapsulates the whole gospel message. Verse 4, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us. Through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. How I wish that we had time to just walk through and unpack these truths. Like, there is so much packed into those four verses that we could probably spend weeks just covering each of these points and and what that means for our faith. But while I don't have the time to go through each one of those, I do want to just talk about some of those overarching principles that we see here. First and foremost, God's gift of salvation is not based on anything that we have done. Not anything we have done could ever cause us to earn God's salvation. Verse 5 says, He saved us not because of righteous things we had done. We could live, you know, as little kids would say, we could live a million, trillion, zillion years, and we still would not ever be able to do enough to earn God's salvation. There's nothing we can do because, and here's the other big thing, he saved us because of his kindness, his love, his mercy. All of that is because of him. And when Jesus Christ, the Son of God and all-powerful member of the Godhead, came to earth in human form, 
taking on human flesh and blood so that he could die as our atoning sacrifice. That is when we saw the kindness of God and his reckless, perfect, overwhelming love appeared. He had compassion on us even while we were pitiable and and lowly. You know, when we were, verse 3, God still sent his love for each one of us. And he extended his great mercy toward us and he saved us. And it wasn't because we're so cute and lovable, even though we all are in some ways, but that's not why. He did it because God is so loving. I am not lovable, but God is so loving that he extended that and he let that pour down on each one of us. We had rebelled against him. We had pulled away from him. We had gone the other way. But he loved us anyway and he saved us. And I think for me, that shows the immensity of his great love. And moving on from there, here's what he did when he did save us. Verse 5 goes on to say that he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by his Holy Spirit. By the work and involvement of the Holy Spirit, we are born again. He gave us new life. Like we literally had a new birth that happened when we came to him. He did that work for us. He took us from our lost and spiritually dead condition and raised us to a life, a new life in Christ, right? And he cleaned us up. He took us and it says that we were not only reborn, but we've also been renewed. We have been recreated. He has recreated us. He has refashioned us. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. That is something for us to rest on each and every day. The new has come. He didn't just say, all right, I'm going to take you, Mitch, and I'm just going to tweak a couple things here and just set you on your way. No, he said, all right, old Mitch, gone. New Mitch has come. And now I get to walk in that new life each and every day. And that's, that's the awesome and amazing thing. He didn't just change our old nature. He made it new. And he continues to make us new each and every day as we walk with him. And here's the end result of that gift of salvation. Verse 7 tells us that we have a new standing in Christ. It says that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is awesome. We now stand justified. We now stand acquitted in the sight of God. The guilt of our sin, the guilt of our shame is gone. And we are, the slate is wiped clean in him. Because God has put the righteousness of Christ on us, we are now credited with his righteousness and we stand justified before God. That's who we are now in Christ. God has washed us clean. He has removed the stain of our sins. And what, you know what else that means? We're now heirs. If you ever, if you ever like watch um, the rich and famous, you know they have their heirs. Guess what? You're an heir as well. You are now a son or a daughter of God, the Most High, the Almighty. You are His child, and He wants to give you everything that He has. And that's the amazing thing as well. We are His heirs. We have an inheritance that we already have, and we can also look forward to, right? We now have the hope of eternal life, the confident expectation that one day 
we will get to experience the glory of God throughout all of eternity. As a follower of Christ, it's already started. We already get that life each and every day, but it will continue from this point forward that we now have an eternal relationship with God as his son or daughter, and it will continue for all of eternity. Praise God for his blessings on us. Amen? That he has poured out his kindness and love, his mercy and grace, and it is for each one of us. And now there's a reason why we've gone through all of this today. Why we've reminded ourselves of where we once were and where God has now taken us to. There's a reason why Paul has laid out all of these great doctrinal truths in these five verses. He gets to the bottom line in verse 8, where he says, this is a trustworthy saying, referring to what he has just mentioned. He says, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. We need to be reminded sometimes that we're changed, that we're reborn, that we're renewed. We need to be reminded that we are justified by his grace, that we are heirs. Like, sometimes I like to just think of that. I'm an heir. I'm a son of God, the Most High. And earlier we talked about those moments in life where we receive that special gift from someone, someone who loves us, and how we a lot of times have that emotional response. Well, Paul's saying it's like that, that we need to have that response that we have each and every day as we live out our lives as, as followers of Christ, that it's going to evoke in us some kind of a response. Maybe it's a visible response. Maybe it's an emotional response. But we're filled with feelings of gratitude and love when something or someone gives us something so great. And just like those moments where we have received from God his precious gift of salvation, when we remember where we once were and where Jesus has brought us to, we should then, as Paul says, be careful, be mindful, be intent to devote ourselves to doing what is good. Not only are we changed, but we should live like we're changed, is what he's saying. We shouldn't continue to be who we once were. And sometimes we need that reality check of where am I? Where, how am I living? How am I moving forward? Because remember, the people on the island of Crete were generally known as liars, brutes, lazy, gluttons. They were money-hungry, of low moral character. You know, those are not things that I think most of us want to be considered as. So Paul was calling these new believers to do what is good because of God's gift of salvation. They were to live differently than they used to because it would testify to and reflect of God's goodness. Their lives should no longer reflect the common Cretan ways of lying, being lazy, and just, you know, being a glutton. Instead, their actions, their good works should be seen as lovely. It should be seen as attractive and honorable in the sight of those around them. What we do, what they should have been doing, were things that would say, there's a difference. Why? I'm attracted to that. I want to see what might happen. And as we live in a culture which in many ways is similar to the culture that was found on the island of Crete, we too need to be doing what is good. In the midst of the morality around us that kind of continues to sink and decline, we need to be doing what is good and our actions should be lining up with our new identity in Christ. Now let me be very clear here because this could seem like a little bit of a contradiction from what we said earlier. The good works 
that we are encouraged to do here do not earn us salvation. Rather, they will be an outflow and the fruit of our relationship with Christ. The gift of God is salvation. It is still a gift. There is nothing that we can do to earn it. But when you are right with God because of his gift of salvation, it's as though we're compelled to do good works, to do what is right. We want to honor the one who has saved us. We want to glorify him. We want to love him. We want people to see what he has done. And you can't help but do good works because you want to display that great change that he has made in your life. You are reborn. You are renewed. You are set free from those things that once held you captive and enslaved you. And you're excited to show that off. If you were here a few weeks ago, you remember Teen Challenge was here. And they sang a song that I've heard several times before that. So as they were singing, I was kind of mouthing the words along with them. Because it's something where... I think the words are very powerful and very true. But again, I sometimes forget the message of them. And they said, I won't go back. I can't go back to the way it used to be before your presence came and changed me. I won't go back. I can't go back to the way it used to be before your presence came and changed me. That was their declaration And in all reality, that should be our declaration too. That should be not only something that we speak with our lips, but it should be reflected in the way that we're living. When we remember where we came from, when we remember that through Christ we are reborn and renewed, we should be declaring with our mouths and our lives that I'm not going back to the way I used to live. I'm not going back to my verse 3 experience. We're going to do what is good and honorable. We're going to live in a way that honors God And we're going to act in ways that will be attractive in the sight of others. So if if you were in your life, so we'll just use a simple example. But if you were in your former life, someone who's just a cranky person. You were just crabby and you were known to be crabby. Hopefully as Christ, as you allow Christ to do the work in you, you're no longer going to be that crabby person. Okay? Yes, we all have bad days. But that shouldn't be the general characterization, right? Like, so if you have been in the church or been in a relationship with Christ for a number of years and you get to be, so I'm just going to throw out ages, 60, 70 years old, and you're that crotchety old person, but you say that you have Christ in you, maybe you should look at your life, okay? And, And just see... You know, is do I remember where I was and what Christ has given me? Like, I feel that even though we have bad days and sometimes we can get brought down by things, we should not be characterized as that crotchety old person, right? If, if we are a follower of Christ, I should not be crabby. I should not be cranky. I should not be, you know, always with an axe to grind no matter where I go. And, you know, people run in fear because they see me coming. I should be one that is attractional, that I have joy coming out of me, that I have just this exuberance of, of just godly things coming out of me and that people are like, what is, in, in a good way, what is the deal with him? Like, I want, I want that. You know, we know people probably even in this church that were like, I want what they have because it is just contagious. It's that joy. It's that, that peace. It's that just calming reassurance that God is in them, and I want that. 
I want to become more and more like that. And so we're hoping and we're praying that we're going to have an opportunity to share with people because of the good works that we're doing. Because, and that is stemming from what God has done in us. The love that we've experienced. The life that we've now been given. Because just like we were at one time foolish, deceived, enslaved, but we've now received God's mercy, kindness, and love and been saved by his gift of salvation, there is hope that those who we come into contact with that don't yet know Jesus, they can still receive God's mercy as well, right? Like, it didn't stop the day we got saved. No, it continues on and on. There are people all around us who need to hear of what God can do for them, and we get to be those who bear that. We get to be the ones who share that. So these good works then become the fruit of our faith. They become our response to what we have received in Christ, his overwhelming gift to us, and his gift should change how you and I live. Each and every day, each of us, as bearers of the new life in Christ, can show off what we have received by living differently than we did before. Matthew 5.16 says it like this when he writes, Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. As you live differently than you once did, those around you, your family members, your friends, your co-workers, your classmates, they're going to see you. They're going to notice that there's a difference in you, and these good deeds are what are the fruit of that. And they'll be attracted to whom you have, your Father in heaven. They'll begin to ask, why are you different? What is different inside of you? What has changed? I know the old you, in some cases, they can say, And there's something different here. Or, if you're new into an area, you know, they're used to all the stuff that goes on in the workplace, and you come in and you're a little different, they're going to notice that. And they're going to say, what is different about you? And it's going to be attractional to them when we are doing those good works that are compelled because of our love for Christ and what he has done for us. We are just so grateful. I recently finished a book entitled, They Like Jesus, But Not the Church by a man named Dan Kimball. In one section of the book, the author tells a story of a woman named Molly. She's a 24-year-old who, she was a practicing Hindu. Um, And while practicing Hinduism for a few years, she moved into a house where some people from the local church lived. She didn't have any relationships with any single one of them beforehand. She simply responded to an ad for a roommate. Okay? There's some interesting... Uh, challenges there. But prior to this, here's the key. She had a perception that Christians were negative, they were judgmental, and had a poor outlook on this life. Okay? I'm not sure if you've ever faced that, but that's out there. There's that message. And while they lived together, these Christian roommates befriended Molly without judging her for her Hindu beliefs. They just loved her. They just were kind to her. They just, they hung out together. Just girls. You know, they just went out, they did stuff, they shopped, they ate, they did whatever. And as they did that, they were basically just showing that they cared about her as a person. And they simply lived out the gospel to her, letting their good works flow out of their lives. Ultimately, the good news is she put her faith in Jesus one night, and she believed in the gift of salvation that he offered by grace. And as the author spoke with Molly about her journey, This is what she said. And I think this can be a challenge to us, and it can also be a hope for us. She says, 
I wish I would have known earlier that not all Christians are such jerks. I had no idea. Maybe I would have believed in Jesus earlier. If she would have seen the kindness and love that comes from us as believers earlier, maybe she would have seen that. But what that also tells us is that there is hope. That as we live that life where we are doing those good works, and as we are showing that to the world around us, and the world around us, it doesn't have to be like a global thing. It can be as I go to the store, and I just run into someone, and I can show them love and kindness. It can be in my workplace that I'm just going to show love and kindness. I see what that someone is going through something, and I can say something just because I want to be kind and love them as well. Molly was able to get over some of her hang-ups, and she allowed the truth of the gospel to penetrate her heart. And that's what we get the opportunity to do as well. So as we, we, as we begin to wrap up this morning, I want to encourage each one of us to do a few things. First, let's you and I consistently remind ourselves of where we once were before the gift of God's salvation. We were stuck in the filth and the foolishness of our sin. But, that's a nice big but. Okay? But, when his gift arrived, he saved us and he gave us a new status. He gave us the status of being justified and now we are his heir. And then because of his gift, we are changed. We are different than who we once were. And our lives should now reflect that change. We should, as Paul said, be careful and intentional to devote ourselves to doing what is good. That should be our purpose. That should be our aim each and every day. Kind of that, you wake up and, all right, Lord, what can I do today? What good thing can I do today? Letting those good works bring honor and glory to God our Savior and it affects the lives of those around us. Someone like Molly, who met Jesus because her roommates were intentional about doing what is good. Would you stand this morning with me? Lord, we thank you. First and foremost, we thank you that you have taken us from where we were. We thank you that you have taken us out of our foolishness. You've taken us out of our state of being deceived and enslaved that you've taken us from being hated and repulsive and you have brought us into your kingdom. That because of your goodness, because of your kindness, your mercy, and your love, you saved us. And Lord, I thank you that it is not because of anything I have done or could ever do, but that you give that gift freely. This morning, I thank you that you offer that gift of salvation to us freely. And that as a result of that, we now stand justified. That we are now your sons and your daughters, your heirs. And that we have that hope of eternal life with you. We can have an eternal relationship with you. And so, Lord, I thank you for that. And I pray that as we reflect on these things, that we would be excited, that we would be compelled to do what is good, our response to that gift would just reflect that we are grateful, that we are wanting to do good, 
that we are wanting to do those things that bring you honor and glory and are attractive to those around us. So Lord, I pray that you would show us, show us each and every day how we can do this, how we can live this out. Lord, speak to our hearts to say, go do this, or let's work on this, or let's change this. Lord, I just pray that you would show us how we can do this each and every day. Thank you, Lord. Now, as we are in prayer and as we're in these closing moments, our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Maybe you're here today and you're thinking, I know this one thing, that I really don't know Jesus. I've not received this gift of salvation that God freely gives, and I've not begun to experience this new life in Christ, but I want to. I need to. And I feel in my heart and my soul that I need this. And today I want to receive this gift and invite Jesus into my life. If that is you, I want you to do something. And I'm not wanting to embarrass you in any way, but as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I'm going to start off on my left, your right, and I'm going to ask you this question. And if that's you, I want you to look me right in the eye. If that's you today and you want to say, I want to start this new life with Christ, receiving this gift of salvation that God has for me, I'm going to scan from left to right, and as you look me straight in the eye, I'll know, and I'll acknowledge you and then move on. So starting on the left, if that's you this morning. Thank you. In the middle section... And on my right. Thank you. So I want, I want us to do something for those who said yes today. And I'm going to invite our whole church to do this as well. We're going to just say a simple prayer together. And if you looked at me this morning, I want you to pray along. So let's pray this prayer. Would you repeat after me? Dear Jesus, thank you for opening up my eyes. Today I know that I need you. And I respond to this gift that you offer me. I'm saying yes to you. And I ask you, Lord, change my thinking. Open up my mind to understand what a life lived with you is all about. Today I ask you to become my Lord. I ask you to become my Savior. I ask you to wash away all of the filth and all of the junk from my life and to make me a brand new person. Fill me with your spirit as I say yes to you. Today I receive you as my Savior and Lord. Thank you, Jesus. If that was you today, I want to encourage you to do something before your head hits the pillow tonight. I want you to tell someone that you know is a believer and say, 
that was me today. I made that decision. We want to come alongside of you. That person that you're telling is going to want to come alongside of you and help you. Because, like we said earlier, you are, you've now been reborn. It's like you're a new baby. Helpless, unable to do anything, perhaps on your own. But we want to help guide you. Help you get pointed in the right direction on what this new life means. And how do we move forward? So, I encourage you, before your head hits the pillow tonight, talk to someone about this and say, that was me. And in a sense, you could say, now what? Right? And we want to help you. And if you do not have a church that you regularly go to, we would love to have you be a part of our family here at Portview. We would love to help you grow and walk and and discover this new life uh, in Christ. So, now, we get to go. We get to enjoy a beautiful day. I encourage you to go in the grace of Jesus Christ and let's go out and be doing what is good because of what God has done in us. If you'd like prayer, the altars are open. We can pray with you or you can just spend time for the Lord. Have a great day.